Hey everybody, my name is Josh Chambers, and this is How Humans Change. Every episode, we speak with someone who's undergone some kind of change, and we get the backstory. In this episode, I spoke with Jewel Pearson. Jewel decided to downsize from a normal, quote-unquote normal-sized home to a tiny home. She said it's been something she'd been wanting to do for 26 years uh, since her daughter started kindergarten. And we talk about the journey that took her from... Uh, downsizing incrementally from home to home, from three bedrooms to two bedrooms, etc., to what is now a mobile tiny home. We also spent quite a bit of the conversation discussing racism. Jewel talked about how she felt a almost a responsibility within the tiny house community as being a voice of color and representing people of color in a movement that is mo- mostly whitewashed. And she talked about the racism that she experienced surrounding the community, within the community, and just the difficulty of having to navigate a almost entirely white community when you're a person of color. We also talk about this strange thing that that happens. You, you know when a movement starts, how it's usually pushing against some other cultural norm that that probably needs to be rethought. For example, McMansions and home sizes that are too large for what we actually truly need. And how those those innovative movements still can turn sour and become so insular and just another exclusive group that you're in or you're out of. How weird that is, that you can start so innovative and yet in other areas be so not innovative. So we talked about that for a while. Uh, and I got to speak to Jewel from her tiny home, which is beautiful. Jewel has also been featured on HGTV, and she's been called the quote-unquote Harriet Tubman of tiny homes. Um, she talks a lot about also just the the forced responsibility of, of, of these situations, this kind of if I don't, who will, uh, and taking that on, uh, and then some of the difficulties of that and where to exert your energy, when to not exert your energy, when to have an argument, when to not have an argument. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, please consider rating us on iTunes and Overcast and Google Play, wherever you download your podcasts. Give us 11 stars. And please remember to share this with a friend because it's your responsibility as a good person. Oh, and also if you know anybody who would be a good fit for the show, please go to howhumanschange.com and click contact. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jewel Pearson. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I was. I'm good. I was like, I think that's right, and I was like, Yeah, that's right. No, it's it's right. Skype just gets really dumb. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened either. But you found me no problem. Oh well, there were a lot of Josh Chambers, but I I just kind of scrolled through and figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) But I honestly think every time I interview someone, something there's some new glitch that I run into with Skype. Well, yeah, so at least it's consistent and you know you're on the right track. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking time to talk to me. Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Am I talking to you from your, from your tiny house? You are. You are. I'm sitting over in the corner of the couch because, so I had this all planned out in my mind when I set the date because I had just gotten a new puppy. The weather was beautiful and I have a screened in porch. So I was like, if in just in case I can go out on the screened in porch, mm-hmm. if the puppy starts, you know, doing a, a little bit 
extra stuff. Yeah. And it's cold, rainy, and wet. <laughs> so she's down for a nap, and I think we're good before she starts. Um, okay. So I'm kind of in the corner okay. away from her. Hiding? Uh, yes, hiding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what kind of dog did you get? A Havanese. Have you heard of them? I They're have from heard Havana. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And so I have another Havanese, an older one that will be four in December. And my daughter has kind of hijacked him. He mm. was in my tiny house act episode and my daughter has hijacked him mm. and I can't seem to get him back. <laughs> and so um, I have a, another little girl who is uh, four weeks, no, four oh, months old. Man. So she's um, and she's totally different from really? from. A, little boy but she has so much personality she's the funniest little thing but oh, she fun. runs the house now so we're um i'm i'm doing i'm on her clearly you're stuck in the wants. corner that's exactly. so funny <laughs> well it's a good corner i love the artwork behind you well thank you mm-hmm. um did you i don't know if you had a chance it's no problem if you didn't to listen to that episodes before this but basically we just have a conversation it's pretty it's pretty laid back i did listen to parts of some of your episodes okay, cool. yes Yes. Um, would you say it was the greatest podcast you'd ever heard in your life? Absolutely. Oh, thank you. That's, thank you for that unsolicited <laughs> That's what I was compliment. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I didn't want to say it off the top and seem yeah, like I was brown nosing. No. <laughs> I, I appreciate such genuine, like just genuine, unsolicited, generous comments or compliments. Exactly. Thank you. It, um, it was coming. Well, I was, I mean, you've, you've already told your story and you've told it in multiple formats. Um, but, um, I loved just what I saw and heard about um, what you did. You moved from a standard size home to a tiny home, but you had a slightly unique angle on it, if I'm not mistaken, in that it's not necessarily like the tiniest of tiny homes that you, you wanted to downsize. You wanted to buy into some of the philosophies behind building a tiny house, but you weren't, right. but you also wanted some of the normal comforts or amenities so absolutely um i i really loved that because I've, from what i've seen of the tiny house community and i think all of these communities there can be this real zealousness around the the way you're supposed to do it and i'm sure you probably ran into some of that um, oh yeah oh, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah well let's start there did people get pissed when you because your home's a little bit bigger than the average tiny home correct it is. Well, maybe not, not, well, it is, I guess now with me adding the screened in porch, uh-huh. but the money that I spent in it, uh... um, when I built, because I built in, um, 2015 and that okay. was when the movement was still about not spending so much money and right. it wasn't this and it wasn't that. And you're right. They've got a lot of, of philosophy around what a tiny house means and 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 what yeah. it should be. Yep. And I knew I was spending more money on my house than was allowed, you uh, know, okay. my money. Yeah. Um and so I knew I was coming out a little bit different. But I also um I'm I'm o- on the older end of the spectrum of a tiny houser that okay. that at the time um was in the movement. And I've lived in some really nice spaces, and I just wanted to continue that. I didn't ever right. want to feel like I was giving up anything because right. I knew I would be successful long term. What kind of like negative feedback were you getting? Were people just, you know, like here and there commenting on YouTube videos from some of the shows that you've done, or 
Email so I, you know, I sometimes get that that people will say, oh, you know, here's somebody who doesn't get the concept of what a tiny house is oh, supposed to be about. I see. Um, so I get that, but mm. early on, I decided I wasn't really feeding into the noise. You know, yeah. I kind of um, during the build process, I kind of kept it under wraps as to, you know, right. what I was doing because there was just so at that point they were, in my opinion, there was a lot of rigidity rigidity around yeah, yeah. what a tiny house was supposed to be and then i i felt like just as with all movements it was going to change and it has changed oh, um, for sure yeah so well, there are some, some tiny house there are tiny house luxury shows and you know people going all out spending uh, a bunch of money so the, the movement has changed as people have come in and their you know desires for a tiny house are, are different that's so interesting um I've, it, this seems like it always happens when, when a quote unquote movement starts, that it starts out of a genuine place of desiring change. And then some of the people who were there early, either some of the early adopters or maybe some of the founders of the movement just turn into a-holes. And then it becomes this exactly. like, it becomes this weird religion where you're either in or you're out and you fit or you exactly. don't. I don't, it just, exactly. see, it just happens over and over and over and over. That was a lot of it. And it, in my opinion, I mean, there, and there were so many because, you know, it started and they were wanting people to accept them. And, you know, this is this new thing. But then I realized they weren't really accepting of a lot of, of, right. of other things. Yeah. Um, and so like when I started calling out the fact that um, my experience as a tiny house person was different from their experience because I've run into racism, you know, where mm. places where you can put tiny houses, there are, there are people of color missing from this movement as yeah. they have their events. They're not highlighting or, and include, including people of color that right. where they hold the events aren't necessarily welcoming to people of color. And as I started calling that out, they were like, you know, nobody wants to talk about that either. So it's like you want people to be accepting it, but and you don't you want to break the status quo, but you still want to live within the status quo of right. the things that need to be Other fixed. things. So, right, right. So Dang. is this a movement really or not? Right. Oh my gosh. We're we're getting into like some really we'll we'll come back to the timeline and how you made the decision, but if you're cool, we'll okay. keep still talking about this. Absolutely. This is <clears throat> I was talking about someone to someone about this. Hold on a second. <laughs> don't worry we'll cut that out i was talking to um oh and i should say by the way if there's anything after the fact you just like if you just say something and you're like can okay. i can i can i do that one over just let me know okay okay I'll, I'll I, so should i be recording i didn't start my quick time are we okay okay all right i'll just i've got it recording over here okay um, cool but um what i was going to say is i was just who who was i don't remember but i was talking to someone about paradoxes uh because i was wondering why it is that when a community that celebrates tolerance inevitably becomes intolerant like if, if by definition if you're a tolerant person you have to be intolerant of intolerant people and That's so i was like hey, you know how does so and the response back i was trying to discussed this with a philosopher type and the response back was, well, there's just inevitable paradox that shows up and that is the way it is. It always has to be that way because if, if you're trying to be tolerant, of course, it's you don't let people in who are jerks and who are really mean. But yet at the same time, it seems like it shows up in these strange movement areas like this, like you're talking about with Tiny House where 
out of a desire for change, then it's like, well, now anyone who's not on board with our type of change is no longer acceptable. Right. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. It was disappointing to me um, because I kind of jumped into the movement and it, this is something that I've known. Living small was something that I, I've kind of known since my daughter was headed to kindergarten. Okay. So when I jumped into the movement, I had this happy-go-lucky attitude. I'd found some people that were, you know, doing this thing that I, I wanted to do. And then when the realization, like like when I first had the the racial experience in the uh, mobile in the uh, RV community, and started seeing that my experience was different, and I realized none of them could have given me, you know, I did the consulting and all of that about my tiny house and how to build it and and that kind of stuff, but none of them because they it wasn't their experience could right. prepare me for what I experienced. Right. And so as I started trying to call that out and to say, hey, let's you know. We're, we want cities to be accepting. Let's also be accepting of other people. And then when I started getting the pushback, it was just like, oh, my God, this is more of the same mm. and so hypocritical. Mm. And then it just c- kind of got downright ugly. Like I've gotten nasty, threatening messages Whoa. because I continue to call it out and and say, hey, you know, you're not highlighting the people that that need this the most. And, and I've learned over the course of the years that, you know, the homeless people can benefit from tiny houses. Mm. And I've heard within the community, well, we want to get this legalized and, and, and done first, and then we'll go back and reach out to those people. Let's not associate it with home and homelessness because then people won't be accepting of the movement. And I think that's such elitist, uh, you know, oh, an, right. an elitist attitude. And who needs housing more than the homeless? Right. <laughs> So it's that you know, it's like when you're gonna go back and pull these people back in. For me, as a person of color, it's reminiscent of yeah. okay, let us fix everything, and then we'll go back and get the people of color, and we'll we'll fix things, and it's and and that never happens huh. because you know those people continue to move forward, and 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 the 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 needy people or the people who really need this movement are left behind. So what kinds of things um, are do you get pushback from, is it the NIMBY thing? Like, don't do this in my backyard. Don't have a tiny house that, here. Or- that's a lot of it, but but that's a lot of it from the outside community trying to yeah. do regulations and where can you put them and, and those things. That's big from outside of the community. Within the community, one of the things that I had early on started trying to um, call out was, let's not just talk about building houses. And, and, and if we're talking about building tiny house communities, Let's talk about building real communities, inclusive communities, and addressing all of the the needs of everybody who should be in this community. Mm. Let's make sure we have all of the people that should be in the community represented at the table. Mm. And those were the things that I was getting pushback from because at some point, in my opinion, it became more about money. Let's make money. We're going to do these festivals. We're going to, and we're going to bring in the names that people recognize and we're going to make money off of these festivals. And our main concern is making the money versus whether every, whether the people who are speaking and sharing their experiences look like diversity. So did you sort of take this community at its word and buy into the philosophy of what it was supposed to be about inclusivity and thinking differently and, and, you know, not necessarily living by a hyper consumeristic mindset. And then sounds like you sort of ran into all of it. <laughs> right. 
right? <laughs> Absolutely, because I'm thinking, okay, people, these are people who want to do things differently. And these yeah. are people who are, you know, talking about getting back to the earth and, and your footprint and, and, you know, our tribe, finding your people. But then they really still want to stick to these are the people that we <laughs> mean when we're talking about the people. You know? Like, find <laughs> your tribe as long as it looks and acts it, and thinks like this. Exactly, exactly. And it was so oh, disappointing to me. And and so like I said, I, I've I've gotten threatened. Um, you know, the when I I've been told that um, as I'm having this conversation, I need to be more Martin Luther King than Malcolm X because I was pushing it too hard. Uh, just you know, oh my, my tone, the words that I use. You know, people would be more willing to listen to what I'm saying if my tone oh. was better as I share this information. And it's like, I, who has time for that? And you this know? is this is particularly around more uh, racial inclusivity that people. Yeah. Yes. Does that remind you of anything? Hmm. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh, Jewel! Wow. Yeah. And so to get in this movement and realize this is just a subset of the larger world. It was, it was just. It, it at some point it became way too much and disheartening. And I just said, you know, my focus now is going to be in conversations, not not pushing to be included, yeah. but in conversation, conversations, highlighting the people of color who are here, having conversations with groups of people who want to have these discussions. Right. And if you want to be here and we're having these discussions, that's a totally different vibe in a, in a different direction. And so that's where right. I'm focused. Okay. More. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I imagine at some point it felt like pushing a boulder up a hill. Absolutely. Um, you know, this has happened to me a few times. I wonder what you think about this. I don't exactly know how to frame this as a question, but I feel like I've a number of times in my life joined these subcultures, probably not realizing it was a like subculture, but it, taking the core philosophy of what I perceived this group or this movement to be about and joining in based on that and realizing that it was, and I don't think they were doing it on purpose, but it seemed like it was just another permutation of the same with one tiny little thing changed. It was like this one knob got twisted a little bit. Um, right. I can think of a, a a nonprofit years ago that I worked at that was so innovative in its mission, and it couldn't have been more archaic and bureaucratic in how it operated. And I always found that fascinating that you could be so innovative and think so far out of the box in just one lane. But the minute it came to looking right. and thinking about any other way of doing things differently, you had no capacity for that. And I have no idea what that is to this day. And I still do that where I naively run into communities really excited and energetic and eager. And then I find out, shit, I think I'm the only person here who's actually really excited about the mission thing. Right. Right. But I don't. Yeah. I, have you thought about that? that is. I, oh, okay. I was, I was just as excited, like, like what you're saying. These are some people who are, are who want to make change happen and mm. are are against, you know, not necessarily against the system, but they're trying to do some things differently and, yeah. and wealth building. And, and this is the thing that I know other communities need so much. And these are people who are kind of thinking outside of the box. So in my opinion, these are the same people who would be more open and receptive to these conversations and, and making sure everybody is here, but no. no. Yeah. Oh, that would be so disappointing and disheartening. 
It was. It was very disappointing. Man. All right. Well, back to the top. Um, okay. Let's talk about uh, what was going on. And if you don't mind, this is something I think you've talked quite a bit about, but why did you choose to uh, downsize? So it's something that I, when I, I said I've known, I've wanted to do it since my daughter was going to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. As a, I was a young mom, young single mom, a lot of responsibility, hard work. And I kind of knew going into that, that once I was done with that and once she was okay and I had gotten her to the point where she needed to be, you know, headed off into adulthood, that I really wanted to do irresponsible things, I guess, is the, you know, mm. I missed a period of irresponsibility. <laughs> and I really wanted to go back to that and to be able to make decisions based on mm. what I wanted to do versus I've got these bills to pay, you know, these right. things that have to be done. And I really wanted to be able to step backward and do some things differently. And I've always felt like that was just going to be like a lighter lifestyle. And so, as, as she was growing up, I, you know, in my mind at the time when she was going into kindergarten, it was when you make it, you buy your mom an RV. And that has uh, just kind of been my thought process through, you know, through her schooling that when she, when I was done being the mom, that I'd get an RV and kind of, and, you know, it's always been a running joke, you know, wherever she was in school, I was just going to pull up and show up. <laughs> and she never thought it was funny, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, and, you know, it was, it was something that along the way I would use for her to, you know, you've got to get a good grade here because I needed, you're buying me an RV, all of that kind of stuff. And then, and then as time went on and I, you know, I'm starting to, we're, we're getting into this time period and I started kind of the, I've got expensive taste and the RVs that I like are, are really going to require, you know, a full-time job plus to pay for, to pay for it. And so it's just like, okay, so that may not necessarily be the, the way I achieve this dream, but over the course of, of the time, once she went off to undergrad, um, I started my downsizing. So when she left to go to undergrad, um, it was 10 years before I actually started building my tiny house. And that's when I started downsizing. We lived in a four bedroom, three bath, and I moved to a three bedroom, three bath, um, eventually went to a two bedroom, two bath and kind of hung out in that space for a while. And then right before I built my tiny house, I was in like a one bedroom, one bath. But over this time, downsizing all of my stuff, you know, when she left to go to law school, gifting her a bunch of stuff so that, you know, she was set and, and I was still in the downsizing process. And then, um, Around 2013 or so, I stumbled on a story about tiny houses, a lady who had built a tiny house and kind of her reasoning behind it. She had been divorced. She had gotten divorced, kind of lost everything in the divorce Mm. and had decided to build a home. She didn't ever want to be in a position again to lose. And that kind of resonated with me. And I was like, okay, I I like that concept. And it was still mobile. The the house was mobile. So that's when I decided that I was going to build a tiny house. Going back to the... um to the, the, the idea that you had had from the time when your daughter was young, uh, it sounds like it was a, a much more practical, um, practically driven decision from the beginning that you wanted to achieve some financial freedom. And it seems like, well, housing is really expensive. So this is a pretty idiot proof way to, to save some money. But I'm, I, I'm wondering two things on this. First of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not, um, it, that isn't normal thinking, you know, like that's not something <laughs> that the average person thinks to do. 
they just, we all sort of stay in our lanes and well, that's how everyone else did it. So I guess I have to do it that way. So I'm struck by the fact that you had this innovative uh, streak right from the start, but then I wonder if it was more utilitarian for you, if when you jumped into the tiny house community, if it didn't feel like weird, religious, cult-like, because you're probably, I mean, I can imagine how if you're entering into it with this, I just, I want to downsize and I want to enjoy my life. And then you run into all these, like, beliefs that are just kind of like, ooh. Yeah. And I kind of chalked it up, too. So you're absolutely right. I, my, I can tell you that most people thought I was weird when I would talk about it. My friends would laugh about it, that, you know, <laughs> that that was what my plan was. But I knew I just I just I, I love to travel. I didn't want to feel like I'm the person uh, when we sold the house, when my daughter went to, to undergrad, we had lived in our house for 10 years. I got tired of going in the neighborhood the same way. Like sometimes I'd want to come a, a different way. It's just like I, after a while, things get old to me and I want something new, a new environment. So I want it. And, and so when you're raising a child, you have to give them stability and that kind of stuff. And I get it. And that's what I tried to provide for her. Mm-hmm. But I knew once I was done with that, I wanted to kind of, you know, be a little loosey goosey and uh, I guess, and do things differently. Mm-hmm. And so then you're absolutely right. So coming into the community and getting, you know, looking at it from the outside and it was cool and these people are doing these cool things and they're building these cute houses and then getting to, you know, in some of the groups and and hearing some of the conversation and, oh, well, they're missing the whole point and, you know, that's mm-hmm. dumb. And, and, and then it's like, you know, you're thinking outside of the box, but you're so judgmental about other right. things and other yeah. people. And that, and that was very weird to me. It, I. Um, I had this experience, this might, this, this might, and maybe we're beating a dead horse right now, but it feels good. So (laughs) I remember, um, recently, oh, I, I had decided to use, try and use my skill set to, um, get a little bit more political. And so there were a couple of candidates. Um, I ended up taking on a gubernatorial candidate and I ended up going to this, Um, conference and it was a group of potential congressmen and women and senators who who had bought into a core group of policies that to me seemed to make sense and seemed to be a lot more inclusive and a lot more justice oriented and a lot more straightforward and idiot proof they just seemed to be real solutions to real problems okay so i showed up at these events and I think I came in thinking, like, we're all here for these practical things. I don't give a shit what side of the aisle you're on, or I don't necessarily care about all the nuances of the politics here. I'm just here for these issues. And, right. and then to just sort of run f- naively and face first into a group of people that were, they had a different lexicon. They had these, like, these philosophies and these beliefs that seemed so strange to me and and I felt like in order to participate in what I perceived to be fairly straightforward policy discussions I had to suddenly become this other type of like philosophical political wonk who wanted to sit around and talk about polls and points and then there were these strange like well do you believe in this candidate do you believe in that and I'm like I don't even know who you're talking about right now but it just had this really weird, like almost religious cult-like layer to it that I wasn't expecting. And I couldn't at all penetrate the 
that veneer to get to what I thought was the real issue. And I remember just walking away feeling like, I don't have any idea what just happened. I feel like I just got punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I think so last year was, it was probably last year around this time. Um, I had been invited to speak at an event in Florida and it was, well, no, it's been a little bit longer than that, I guess. It was right after the election happened. Okay. I'd been invited to speak in this area, this rural area of Florida. Um, and I'd already called, I've been, had been calling it out in the community about the, the challenges with where our events, the tiny house events are held. Because you're showing tiny houses, of course, they have to be out in areas where they're open land and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's more of the rural areas. The very first event I went to, you know, I'm speeding down, headed to this event. And as I'm getting closer and closer to the location, I realize I'm passing Confederate flags and all kinds of things like that. And so then I'm like, okay, okay, you know, let me, let me let somebody know where I am because I've just jumped in the car and I'm headed to this event and I've just been kind of clueless, but Jewel, you know, you got to think about safety. So I, I stop and I say, okay, here, you know, here's where I am just in case, blah, blah, blah. Oh and so gosh. I mentioned it then, you know, the, these are some of the concerns you, we have to, as a community, you have to consider that kind of, st- that, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You have to consider that people of color don't necessarily want to venture out to these areas. They're not right. going to feel comfortable. And then also in, in, you know, as your speakers, they don't see themselves represented. So I've been saying that Mm. Um, a couple of other things had happened in the interim that had happened to me personally. So going to this event in Florida, um, I stop at a, I'm headed, I stop at a gas station. Um, and as in the raggediest gas station in life, um, if I had been well, if I had been bougie jewel, I would have never gone in that, in okay. that gas station. I just needed a bottle of water because I was getting ready to go speak. Mm. And when I go in the store, um, I'm really not paying it. The store, the, the shelves don't have really anything in there. Dogs are laying on the floor floor. I really just needed a bottle of water. Again, if I had been in my element, I would have mm-hmm. turned around and left. Or if there were other options, I would have turned around and left yeah. and gone to another store, go in the store. Um, I see the sign that says you have to spend, I think it's five dollars to to use your card. I didn't have cash. So there's somebody there's another person of color in the store. I asked them what they're getting because all I wanted was my bottle of water. Let me pay for your stuff. As I'm paying for my stuff and I see this guy and I'm I'm not paying him any attention, but as I he swipes my card and I'm kind of bent over and he's standing on a platform over me. And I'm This is a cashier. This is a cashier. And okay. as I'm signing my my um, uh, bit, my ticket, whatever you want to call it, he says something to me about, um, are you having a good Trump day? Welcome to welcome. Oh, to, my gosh. It's a new it's a new day. And so Whoa. I kind of look up at him, you know, because I've had my head down and he's standing over me. Yeah. And so and he hadn't said anything to me before. And of course, I, and so I said, so I said to him, are you kidding me right now? Good and for so you. He, he says, it, it, it's a new day and you all have to get you. you, you. And so I immediately start. Oh my well, gosh. One. And so I say to him, you waited, you ran my ticket or you ran, you ran my card. And then you, then you start talking because at this point, either my thing is to make you go through refunding me my money Right. Or I just deal with it. And so then I look at the person behind me and I'm just like, you know, are, are you 
Right. Are we, am I being punked right now? Right. And then I realized this person is, and this person kind of is shrugging like they're a local person and maybe used to this person. And I'm livid. I'm flushed. I feel uncomfortable because mm. this guy has made me aware that I'm not necessarily welcome here. Mm-hmm. It's what I already knew, but I kind of was putting it out of my mind. So he throws me all up off of my game. And then I'm looking around and I just don't feel comfortable in the area. Not that that I'm, it was not necessarily political, but the way that he went out of his way to make yeah. it known the area that I was in. So oh then gosh. I start paying attention to my surroundings and I'm just kind of done at this point. Mm. I can't speak. I'm ready to go because I don't, I, I don't, don't want to you. Yeah. The, the organizer of the event didn't understand me not being comfortable in the area. And it became a big deal that, I didn't stay and I went on site to try to find him and let him know, but it became a big deal that I didn't wow. speak to, to people who were waiting to, to hear me speak. Wow. And I, I shared, if you've not been a person of color and been in an area where you don't feel physically safe, you will never understand my walk. Mm. And it's not for me to continue to try to tell you all what this is about and and to ask you all to be more inclusive. And and I wasn't the only person of color who actually had a problem on site. Something else happened to another person of color on site where they encountered someone. And it's but that's every day and that's and that's what happens as people of color mm-hmm. and if we're as we as a community are supposed to be different and doing things differently these are the things that i feel like i personally personally feel like should also be on the table for discussion mm-hmm. and so i'm at that point there were people who at side, i feel like sides were taken and i continue to call Whoa, out really that you know every your speaking events are still held in these places all of your speakers look the same there are no people of color. And at this point, you're not willing to change. And but for me, it was a turning point because where I felt like I had been, like you said, pushing the boulder uphill. What I need to do is focus on the people who want to listen. I want to create spaces so that people who want to listen, want to engage in this conversation, people of color who need to be in this movement, but don't see themselves represented, have a place to come and talk about these things. So I felt like Mm. me being here as much as I was fighting uphill to have this conversation and pushing to be inclusive, that really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be focusing on the spaces where I could help people understand um, from, you know, home ownership is is how people generate wealth. Mm-hmm. If you're not owning a home and people of color are the at the bottom of the list in home ownership, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, racist policies from mortgage, fraud, uh, mortgage. Uh, and I've lost my word. Redlining. Redlining, redlining, all of the things that keep keep people of color out of home ownership that have kept people out of of building wealth. But here's an opportunity for talking about tiny houses. Here's an opportunity for you to do something different instead of chasing the American dream that may not that really right. isn't the American dream for people of color. So uh-huh. I, I, I then repositioned myself to represent that. So here, let's look at the tiny house community as a person of color. Yes, my experience has been different, but if I'm sharing my experience, you know what to expect, but let's look at the bigger picture. Let's talk about how you can 
build a tiny house and you can have a nice tiny house and it doesn't have to be because I also felt like the the other people in the movement they had already had the big houses and they were choosing to downsize as I, I see. had done it. Yeah. But if you're a person of color and you haven't had that big house and you know a tiny house is a, a is a harder sell. You know, why would I want to go live like Laura Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie? Right. And I haven't had the nice stuff. I'm still trying to get to that dream. The nice stuff, so, yeah. Right. So I wanted to turn the conversation to focus on how a tiny house can, for people of color, and, and can 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 do what we need it to do for our communities. And yeah. you know, for, for communities of, uh, if you talk about farming and, and, and people of color who are losing their homes because, you know, gentrification and, and where, you know, somebody ends up losing their home because they can't afford the taxes or farm land because they can't afford the taxes. So then let's talk about building tiny house communities on those properties where people, you're supporting that person, helping them hmm. um, build wealth and, and, and uh, even if they're not necessarily interested in a tiny house, but you're helping them and they're helping you. Yeah. And it's a win for our community to to move it forward. And so I just totally shifted versus hmm. um, having to have this fight and not feel you know, why should I keep fighting to be included when I can go over here and do something else right. and, and, and build and have different conversations? Um, I, I'm really enjoying it, learning about this from you and hearing um, your story on this. I'd, I'd like to ask you a philosophical question that's coming up for me as you're talking about this. Um, how do you discern the balance between staying in the dialogue and being a voice of dissent and another voice in the room of people who might not agree with you when that is so hard and oftentimes met with such um, indifference at best, aggression at worst, versus what you're saying, shifting and just going where there's some receptivity to the message. Um, especially as a person of color, you've had to probably do this your whole life. Like yeah. figure out how to, how to do this. Where, when do I push? When do I not push? But you know, more and more people who uh, haven't, uh, who have had privilege their whole life are having to, are starting to realize that this, that they're having to make some of these decisions now that they previously didn't think they would Absolutely. have to make. And what Absolutely. is your advice in that? Do you go to do you go to people who are receptive and who are already interested, or do you stay in quote unquote fight? Is it is it just totally situational? I'm tired of fighting. I can mm. tell you that it's it's draining. It's um and it's gotten to the point like like the situation in Florida where I felt like my life was was potentially in danger. It becomes a different conversation when I'm physically in danger. Mm -hmm. um, and so I honestly am tired of fighting. I'm, I'm tired of being labeled the angry black woman because anytime you talk about anything that makes people uncomfortable, then you're angry. Or like when I told you, I was told I needed to be more um, Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X. And yeah. then when you look back in history, Martin Luther King wasn't received well at that time, but people like to like to make it, you know, all love. Oh, yeah, I would have followed Martin Luther King. No, you would not have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the honest answer. You would not have. Yeah. But what I have decided is, you know, some days I do get quiet because I just want to explode and I just want to use bad words yeah. about stuff. Um, but I have decided that I'm not going to temper who I am. Uh, one of my my very good friends, a, a, a white woman who gets it for me. Um, I told her 
when I it, it bothers me when I get labeled angry and she's like, that's passion. You know, people miss it as right. for, for the it's not anger, it's passion. And it's something that you feel very strongly about and you shouldn't temper it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of I still talk a lot about it um, on so- social media. Those are the posts that I'll make public mm-hmm. because I have had people who will inbox me to say, you know, that resonated with me. I've not thought about it this way. Yeah. And people who who have known me for years and I guess they, you know, they regard me as not somebody that they think is crazy. I, you know, they've known me. So the fact that they're listening to some of the things that I'm saying because yeah. they know me and trust me or, or whatever, and it's opening their eyes. So those are the conversations that are making it okay for me to keep saying what I, what right. I feel like I want to say, but I feel like if I hold it in, that's not who I am. And if I hold it in, I'm going to explode. Yeah. So, and, and then now it's at the point where for people of color, it's, it's, it's we're in a dangerous period. And so you really can't mm-hmm. sit and be quiet. And I don't have the luxury of, uh, you know, when sometimes you see the the social media posts where people will say, well, let's not, are you tired of hearing about the politics? Let's talk about dogs. Let's, you know, let's right. flood the timelines with dogs. Yeah. You know, know, as a person of color, if, if, you know, the things that are going on in the world are, are um, mm. jeopardizing our lives and our livelihood and they could result in death. No, I don't have the opportunity to talk right. about dogs and flood your timeline. I've got to talk about this and I need, and because we can't change any of this, we have to talk about it because the people who can affect change are the people in power who don't want to hear these conversations. Right. So, um, you know, you ha- I have days where I just will go quiet. I actually have, you know, months. I'm really kind of in a quiet period right mm. now because most of the time I feel like I want to explode. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, um, I've not lived your experience, but knowing that there's a good chance that, you know, for every one person who, this might seem pessimistic, but pessimistic, but for every, for every one person who is enlightened or excited or, or encouraged by what you say, there might be five people who are just some level of indifferent or let's talk about dogs or straight up. Hey, happy Trump Day. Right. Right. Um, I was, right. uh, the other, this, this, uh, I don't know when we'll, when we'll air this recording, but we're in the, we're coming up on midterm elections. Mm-hmm. And I was at this, uh, restaurant recently. It's in a more rural area. Um, not, it's more suburban, but it's like right on the cusp of suburban and rural. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the record, the rural vote wasn't actually fully. Uh, Trump, there was actually quite a, quite a strong, uh, during the 2016 elections anyways, that's like a pet peeve of mine when people start misusing the data around who actually voted for who. Right. Mm-hmm. So I caveat that to say that I'm not saying because it was rural, they automatically were voting for in a particular, in a particular way. Um, but this, this person came to, uh, there was a table of four of us, um, and this older man, uh, Caucasian, um, probably 60, 65, just came up to our table. He'd heard us talking about politics. Uh, mm-hmm. And he came up to our table and just out of nowhere is like, did you guys see the debates last night? This is the, uh, um, this is the governor race, I think. Um, and we were just like, who is this stranger coming to the table, first right. of all? 
But right. he, he goes, you know, it was between that fake school teacher and lists a name and this other guy. And I just go, fake school teacher? Because this was the Democratic candidate. Uh, and I was like, fake school teacher? He's like, oh, yeah, he's a socialist. And this is how the guy starts the conversation. And I just look at him. And this is a stranger. And I just said, um, I kind of like that candidate, actually. And he just looks at me and goes, well, then fine. You should move to Argentina with the rest of the socialists. Get out of here. And then he proceeds to try to continue to have the conversation. And I just look at him. I was like, well, then you can get away from my table. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at my colleague and he goes, see, you can't talk to young people. They just get so mad. They get their feelings hurt. <laughs> and then we find out the guy works at the restaurant. And oh, he wow. goes back into the kitchen. And, and the thing that really struck me in that moment was um, there was just, I, I love to think that if we're empathetic and kind enough that everyone will listen. But this guy was so angry and there was just, not, there was nothing I could do other than say, you need to leave. You, have no, you are not welcome here. That is it. Um, and I don't experience those nearly as much as someone of color has experienced those moments throughout their life. But it sucks to realize there isn't, there isn't, there, all I can do no. is treat this person with kindness and, but firm. And that's it. That's, that's it. There's no talking to this person at all. Yeah. I, and that's some of the conversation that I have with some other friends, people of color, you know, no matter how, what the nice message is and how you try to phrase it and use nice words and, and not be offensive. People who don't want to listen, aren't going to listen. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you say, please, thank you. Would you, could you, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I'm just speaking truth. And for me, it's a lot of a, a release for me. Mm-hmm. And, and the person who's going to listen and take something from it is going to be able to listen and take something from it, no matter what words I use. You know, people who keep saying be civil in this conversation. For people of color, civility is, is gone because it's, we're in, in times of danger. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the, the luxury to, to make sure my words don't offend you, you know? Right. And, and, and the... And that, that statement that be civil is, to, to your earlier point, is usually just a gaslighting technique to tell you Absolutely. to shut up. To tone it down and shut yeah, up. I really don't want to hear this. Because yeah. the, I, was, I was thinking of the uh, last year when the debates around whether the football players should kneel or stand was such a hot topic. That that was, right. that was such a common phrase from so many of the white football coaches and general managers that were like, look, we're okay if you talk about this, but it's not, don't make it about football and just don't do it here. Find a more appropriate right. way. Right. And I remember, I don't remember which football player it was, but I think it was a number of them finally came back and said, what, where, when is it appropriate? <laughs> where, exactly. Where, That's my where, question. Where are you willing to listen? You where know? and when? Exactly. If, exactly. if me like kneeling on one knee calmly and peacefully isn't the right time on national television, well, you tell me when the right time is. And Absolutely. the answer is, we actually yes. just don't want to hear it. Absolutely. That is it completely. Ugh. Um, this yes. is an unexpected but awesome conversation. Um, if you're okay going back to the tiny house. Absolutely. Okay, so what does it feel like? This is like, deep breath in, new conversation. <laughs> what, what does it feel like to go from big normal house to a small house? 
So for me, because I did the downsizing kind of over the course of 10 years and had put a lot of thought into. So after I sold my house in 2006, I never bought another house. I I rented from that point forward because I knew I wanted to have the flexibility to make moves. So like one year I just decided I was moving to I didn't want to do winter and I moved to Fort Lauderdale. And so you can break a lease and do that kind of stuff a lot easier than than selling a house. And in that process, I started making a list of the things that I knew I had to have in a space. And, you know, the people when I go look at at an apartment would laugh because I had my list. Um, the I needed the windows to face a certain way and I'd cut my compass on and make sure, you know, that because I just know me. Interesting. And, I, and I gathered this list over, you know, from trial and error sometimes. Right. Of the things that made home for me. I'm so and curious so, what other things, if you don't mind sharing, what other things were on that list? Um, I, it's, it's around counter space and, um, mm. the way, the way the windows go and the way the kitchen is set up. And okay. I'd rather have more living space than kitchen space and the okay. closets, um, and, yeah. and, and area. So, and, and I don't want to be in the suburbs anymore. I need to be where things are, there's movement. And because that's kind of how I'm energized. Yeah. Um, I've now learned that I prefer to be on the side. If I'm in a building, I prefer prefer to be on the side where the sun is setting, where the sun moves during the the, the course of the day for the majority of the day versus a sunrise. Okay. Because once it moves, it's kind of dark and shady. Yeah, over yeah. There. So you like the just, southern western exposure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just those things that I've learned over the years about myself, and so that kind of went into once I decided I was building a tiny house understanding that as I designed the house, it had to include certain things. Um, And then as I had pared down to um, my one bedroom, one bath, at that point, I really just had the things that I loved, the, you know, the pieces and and things that I loved. a couch, a piece of art, that kind of stuff. Right. Different artwork. And so for me, making sure, because those things make home for me. And so making sure that I could include those in my design. And so in as my sister is an interior designer, so she helped me a lot with putting the plans together and putting it together. So the window placement, like I've got, I think it's 17 or 18 windows um, (laughs) and not knowing exactly where the tiny house was going to be. So I needed to be able to have light all around. I've got a large size bathroom. I've got a walk in closet. Um, and my living area is, my place is usually the gathering spot for friends. So I still wanted people to feel comfortable in my space and not feel like I had turned into the weirdo in the tiny house right. and they didn't want to visit. Yeah. So it has to sit yeah. on the bed when they're exactly. with you. Yeah. Right. Or you flip this thing and it turns into a bed and you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I didn't want them to be uncomfortable in my space. Uh-huh. And so, so for me, the transition was seamless because I had done all of that upfront planning of, of knowing who I was and what I needed to have and then working into the space. So when you, when you go to do a tiny home uh, plan, does that normal that you plan for the home and then figure out the location later? Um, the, so yes. So unless you're moving into a community or you have property where, you know, you can already place it, you'll have to find somewhere to put it. Um, and that's kind. Of, there are kind of two schools of thought in the community where people will build a house and know that they'll, you know, if they don't already have the upfront placement, they know they'll find a place, which is the the route I went. And then there's some people who would prefer to wait until. 
the rules are, are have changed and it's okay, or they found the perfect location to put the house and then they build because they don't want to take the risk. But I kind of just knew that, that I was building my house and that it would work out just fine. And it, mm. and it has, um, are there, are there like, uh, you know, um, regulatory constraints? Can you just buy a lot in the suburbs and knock the house down yeah. and put a tiny, you can't. No. So the, the constraints change from city to city. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people within the community who are trying to affect change and they've um, done some amendments to the, um, to the building codes. So to include tiny houses right now, they focused on tiny houses on foundation to update the coding, to include um, those. And, and then mm-hmm. at some point soon, it will include tiny houses on wheels, but most of the cities haven't addressed it. And, and they, for the most part, don't want to address it. So you can't, um, and, and there, so there are some cities that are allowing for communities. There are some cities that are recognizing there's a housing crisis and we need to do some things differently. But for, I would say the majority of the cities, they, they aren't. And so you can't put it, just go buy a piece of a property and put a tiny house on it um, and, and then go live. So, so where do you end oh, up having to look when you're looking for property? Is it rural? So uh, in backyards, so rural areas, rural areas are a little more relaxed, but again, for a person of color, that's not necessarily where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I don't necessarily want to be out that far. I'm a city girl. Um, and so I'm in the back in backyards, uh, um, people who have enough of a backyard space to allow you to park. Um, kind of works. And you can kind of, so there's like the gray area where it's not necessarily legal, it's not necessarily illegal, but you don't get into any trouble until somebody calls and complains about you. And so, um, because zoning for the most part just isn't riding around to, to cause you problems. It usually comes as a result of complaints. So I have been successful in, so I started out in the RV park when I first built the house and I was there for like six months. And then I... Um, went to a backyard of a guy's house and I found him on Craigslist. I had an ad of, you know, here's my house, what I need to be set up and what I was looking for. And he answered the ad and I was there for two years, uh, a year and a half, almost two years. Wonderful situation. Really nice. He became like family. Um, but he was a little bit further outside of, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So he was okay. a little bit further out in the suburbs and I really wanted to get back closer into the city. So I did the same thing. I put an ad out and I'm uh, I, I connected with a guy on Craigslist that has a backyard that I'm within like three miles of, of Charlotte's wow. uptown. And so I'm in his backyard and um, and with that, I'm connected to his utility. So I'm kind of like a shed in the backyard. I see. Think about it or an RV in the backyard, my house operates like that. And so I'm connected to his power and to his water and um, his cable. I have my own internet service, but I'm connected to his utilities and I pay him a lot rental for parking in his backyard. How hard is it for you to move the, move the home? So my house is, is kind of, I call it a medium, <laughs> tiny house. <laughs> it's... Um, so it's 28 feet long, the part that's built on the trailer, and then I have that screened-in porch. So it's not the tiny house that I could move with my own vehicle, but mm-hmm. I have this guy with a, a tow service, and when I'm ready to move, it's an effort. And so I've got, like, outside um, porches and things that I've built on my outside area. So it's I get a U-Haul truck and put all that kind of stuff on the in the U-Haul truck, and then okay. I call my 
driver once I've got the house ready to move and he moves it for me. I know. I, I imagine when people hear that you're quote unquote moving, they probably mentally go to the place of God moving sucks and it's so hard, but it sounds like it's, is it, I mean, is it really, is it painful for you every time you move or is it not too bad because everything's contained in the house? It's not necessarily painful. It is an effort because I've built my outside spaces. So like mm-hmm. I've got two um, porches on the outside. And when I first moved, I could put some of that stuff on the inside of the house. But since it's been outside now and I know there are bugs and stuff out there, it has to go in a, tr- a separate truck. So it is an effort in having coordination. So I have to yeah. coordinate getting that stuff moved and loaded in a truck. Um, and I'm not doing it all myself and, and breaking down my screened in porch and then calling um, and then calling the guy and moving it and getting it set back up in, in the spot. So it is an effort. The stuff on the inside of the house, like anything that I don't necessarily have to take things, things that are attached to the wall. I don't have to take those things down. And like, I'm not necessarily moving the couch out. I'll lay stuff down. I put boxes in here and stuff that yeah. I know will fall over and break. I just kind of sit it in boxes on the inside of the house right. and then we move it. And then I just kind of set it back. I set it back up. That's so it's still- not as easy. You know, some people will say, well, why didn't you just buy an RV? Cause you can just start it up and move it, which is true. But then I, st- I feel like I have a different element of home to my tiny yeah. house than the RV provides. Yeah. But then there, you know, there are some people, so mine is uh, on the larger side. So there are some people who have built the smaller tiny houses and they can hitch it to their vehicle and, and move it out a whole lot quicker than I can do mine. So it's kind of, you know, depends on what you built and how you built it. My brother-in-law's parents have built a tiny house on their, uh, like they have, I think they just bought a plot of land on a river. Okay. And they put a tiny house there. I, I think it's good. I, I can't imagine it moves. I think it's a permanent situation. On the foundation. Okay. I think I, think, I would bet. I yeah. don't think they have plans yeah, probably. to, to uh, tour it around. Um, I'm looking at the clock and I, um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, two closing questions for you. Is there anything uh, I didn't ask you that you would want to talk about? Um, I think one of the questions, let me see, one of the questions that you, it was kind of around the change, like the impact and, and the best and hardest parts and, mm-hmm. and for someone else experiencing it that I think those were, um, oh, what did I do there? Um, the, I, I always try to include that information because I think for me going into it, I just felt like I was building a tiny house and and that was going to be it. I didn't expect all the other other things that came along with it. Um, And I didn't really expect the way people react to changes that you make because I felt like I'm, you know, I'm still jewel. Mm -hmm. I just built a tiny house and I live in a tiny house, but then people around me kind of reacted differently and my circle changed and, Mm. and it's like, personal change affects everybody and and not everybody wants to to deal with your changes. And so at some point, um, like a year or so into my tiny house, living in the tiny house, I kind of thought about and was trying to evaluate whether I still would have done the build and, and gone in this direction if I had known how other people were going to react to me in the circle of, and and then the change within my circle and how, you know, things were so different. And I always like to throw that out to people to consider how change 
not only impacts you, but will kind of it's it's an upheaval and you have to be prepared for it. And I don't Mm -hmm. think most people understand that. Um, And I, I, you know, I conduct workshops and, and so one of my pieces of the workshop is not just about building a tiny house, but understanding the personal change that is going to impact because it's not just about the tiny house build or whatever it is that you're getting ready to do, because it's also going to have some, some real personal, you know, the build is going to have some, some personal impact that Mm -hmm. might not be considered, but I always want to, I don't want to scare people. I, I always say, you know, I knew going into it, there were going to people be people who didn't understand what I was doing, who thought I was weird. I know people still think I'm weird. Um, and but that doesn't really impact me personally. But I know that there's some people who aren't as strong in their convictions and right. and embracing change where that kind of stuff can kind of stop them in their tracks. And so I think that's important to consider with change. Well, it you know, it seems like so often we when we make changes, we, we're so focused on just making the change and doing our thing that you forget that sometimes people view it as a, um, almost as a, a critique of the way they are still doing things. Absolutely. And they take it personal and it mm-hmm. had nothing to do with them. You're not even thinking in that way. This yeah. is something that you're doing for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless, I mean, and of course there are some people who make a change and they get super vocal about it, but if you're, if you're, uh, this is such a good example to me. I, um, w- uh, my wife and I, we lived in New York City for a number of years. And usually when, you, when people hear that you're from New York, this is, this is how the conversation goes. Oh, where are you from? New York? The city? New York City? Yeah, New York City. Oh, I could never live there. It's like, well, <laughs> right. oh, <laughs> <Why>? cool. <laughs> well, th- the thing that struck me was like, I wasn't asking you to live right. there. Right, but and they the, really don't even know why. They no, they have no idea. I just kidding. Uh, but I think what yeah. what's what always struck me is that there was just this reaction that people had, where because what I was doing was so different than what they were doing, they immediately felt like I was critiquing their choices. Absolutely. And it, Absolutely. oh my gosh, I remember the first couple times it happened. I was like, what is happening? Right. But right. over and over, no, I could never live there. Oh, right. And if you're not prepared for that, it can kind of it can catch you off guard. And it's like, you know, what happened? What did I do to this person? Right. You know, and, and you start trying to figure out where the misstep happened. And it's something that they're dealing with that you have no idea about. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, any other advice or any other any other topics or questions I didn't ask or things you would want to tell other people who are going through this? Uh, let's see. What else do I have? I, I always like to say, you know, this, for me, this was kind of a dream I had, I I guess when my daughter was about five and I realized it when, how old was she? You've been in 2016, 15. She had finished law school. So late, you know, mid to late twenties. I just want you to know, Um, I cannot do calendar math. I can't do it. I sucked at all of that, but I'm I'm just guessing. I can't do um, it. But so I always try to say, you know, you don't have to, a, a dream isn't necessarily linear. It doesn't have to happen right away. You know, there can be some, some movement left or right, you know, right. but you can still be moving towards this dream. Um, and 
it's a, it, and it doesn't mean you have to, to give it up because it hasn't happened right away or it, it kind of changes into something different. Like I, you know, initially thought it was an RV. It ended up being a tiny house. It happened over this course of time. It's just like stay, you know, stay the course. If it's something that you know that, that you want to do, stay the course mm-hmm. um, and don't let naysayers and, you know, the, the external noise throw you off. Mm. Um, and it sounds like you took some, some incremental steps to get there. You went from you know, this many bedrooms to that many bedrooms a couple different right. times to incrementally right. make your way there too. Right. And paying attention to really me and what, what, what I needed for myself to, to make it work was, was definitely important. Well, do you have any, I know I've been doing all the questions. Do you have any questions for me before we part ways? Tell me about the podcast and, and why you, why you like to, to talk about change and, and this, why are you sharing this? Because I think it's unique. Um, you know, I have changed so much in my own life and am living in ways that I never would have anticipated as a kid. Uh, and I I've, was fascinated by how I could have undergone so many changes and others have undergone what seems like very few. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the, the place that I grew up and the belief systems that I was given look so different than where I'm at now. Um, and, and they were so aggressive, so many of the belief systems that I was given that it, I shouldn't have been able to get this far away from them, I think. Um, okay. And so I was, I was curious about that how does that happen for one person and then not another? Mm-hmm. Um, I was also just curious about the concept of change uh, in general, because I think it's such a necessary, helpful thing. Um, and not necessarily advocating for change in one direction or another. It just seems like a healthy way of living. Uh, and then finally, it, it seemed like a small thing that I could do this podcast to affect some kind of like just just to start conversations in my small little corner of the universe mm-hmm. um and we started this to uh maybe a year a year and a half ago um i can't remember the timing of it but i think it was after the 2016 election and i think there was this growing sense for me at that time that we were a society that was on such different and this isn't entirely true the media i think helps us think that we are on such different ends of the spectrum but i think like 70 percent of the country sort of agrees on a lot of things in the middle but it, regardless it just felt like a, a timely moment to explore change because we need a lot of it yeah um and and then lastly i know this is a long answer but lastly i just love getting to meet new people and i think it's so rare that we get to sit across from each other and just hear someone's story or hear them share for an hour i mean it never happens um yeah so i think those were the those were the big reasons and um it's been a really beautiful project so far. I mean, some of the people we've had on have 
been far more transparent than I ever would have imagined. And then Mm -hmm. they put their little story into the world and then it comes back and people say, I'm so glad that you did that. That changed my fill in the blank. That part of it is amazing. The kind of where you said me knowing that I wanted to do something like this when my daughter was young was unusual. For me, it's always been like, you know, if I think I want to do something, I'm just going to go out and do it. And mm-hmm. and that's just kind of the way I operate and have always operated, which I understand gets on some people's nerves, which, you know, that was, but I always feel like it's me. I'm just doing me things that I want to do. But it wasn't until it was after my tiny house episode aired and I had so many people who reached out especially people of color who hadn't seen themselves in this movement Mm. and didn't feel like this was something that for them or something that they could do and and then just cluing into how many people are scared of change Mm. don't even know how to start to get to changing to following a dream and and that to me was a foreign concept because I'm like, you know, if you say you want to do it or you think you want to do it, just go do it. And so many people aren't that way and they need the catalyst of hearing somebody else's story or, or seeing somebody that looks like them to help them realize, oh, I can do this. And that was that that has been, I think, probably one of the highlights for me as well, to be able to to hear somebody or get an email or like the. The black lady who told me I was the the um, Harriet Tubman of tiny houses as I was speaking, and it was like I haven't done anything like Harriet Tubman, where she was just sharing that for for a person of color to be headed in this movement and and to open and I get emails all the time. Oh my God, a, a, finally a black person, and and now more b- people of color in the movement, and it's just like okay, I didn't realize how many times somebody needed to needed to see or hear another story to get them to make to make a move well thanks so much for talking to me well, i've enjoyed this thank you i'm so glad brandon connected us i really appreciate um the opportunity it's been yeah great. i've really enjoyed the conversation with you too i hope to stay in touch absolutely please do all right Jewel. have thanks. a good weekend you too thank you bye-bye bye